Welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast, Free Thinkers. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me is the Free Thought Project co-founder and editor-in-chief, Matt Agrist, and the Free Thought Project contributor, Don Vi Jr. So today we have a little bit different format for the show. Usually in the beginning of the podcast, I do a, a brief opening to introduce our guest, but... Today, we don't have a guest as they had to cancel at the last minute, but we decided the show must go on and there's really just so much to talk about right now. And that's part of the reason we thought it was so important just to kind of go over some of the news topics and share some of our research and and findings with our audience to keep you guys in the loop, keep you informed and educated about what's going on. So, uh, of course, we should also mention that today is 420. And I was thinking about this, guys, like we really should have all like smoked some weed and got stoned before this call. Like that would have been a different spin to the show, I suppose. But uh, seeing it is 420, we were really trying to get Afro Man on the podcast. And uh, he, he actually responded to our Instagram message that we sent to him. And he said he would do it. He was on board. But when we contacted his management company, uh, of course, they told us Afroman doesn't actually have any availability until May. So uh, unfortunately, guys, we we couldn't snag him for this special 420 episode. That would have been awesome. But we will have him on and it won't be immediate. But, you know, we'll certainly have him on 420. You know, I, I, was, I was looking at this and, you know, it's not just a stoner holiday. There's a bunch of random stuff that has happened historically on this day. In 2010, there was the Deepwater Horizon rig that exploded. I don't know if you guys remember that. And 11 people died when the BP oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico exploded. Uh, of course, in 1999, there was the Columbine High School Massacre, which was one of the first major school shootings uh, when two students of the high school killed 13 people, injured 24 others. And I remember when that happened. That was actually my senior year in high school. And, and yes, I'm that old, guys. But uh, I remember specifically what that happening. And it was such like a, a jarring, shocking event at that time. And, you know, of course, these days it, it feels like it's been normalized. But uh, also another random fact, uh, 420 is Hitler's birthday, which is kind of weird and random that <laughs> we all celebrate 420. And it just happens to be Hitler's birthday. And, uh, you know, also, speaking of anniversaries, yesterday was the 30th anniversary of the Waco, Texas siege, or you know, some people have dubbed the Waco massacre, which uh, we've covered extensively over the years. Yeah, it was it was April 19th, uh, 1993, which uh, ended the 51 day standoff between the Branch Davidians and federal agents who killed 82 people and including 28 children when FBI and ATF used chemical weapons, which ignited their compound and started a fire. 
So there's a bunch of stuff going on. And of course, the day before that, the 18th was tax day. And tax day is you know traditionally on the 15th. But uh, this year, our overlords extended that deadline a few days. So uh, of course, don't forget to pay those taxes, ladies and gentlemen. Zelensky and Ukraine desperately need another $127.5 billion of our tax dollars. <laughs> and uh, speaking on that, you know, we just recently covered a story renowned journalist Cy Hirsch uh, recently made the claim that at least 400 million of those earmarked funds have been funneled into Ukraine, into Zelensky's pocket and his associates' bank accounts. And uh, in fact, you know, this would be a, a, probably a good segue to talk about this a little bit more here. Yeah, last Wednesday, a week ago now, Seymour Hirsch published a report on Substack alleging that the CIA was aware of widespread corruption in Ukraine and uh, the embezzlement of, of U.S. aid. Uh, he said that this is kind of the, the skim or the scheme, I guess, is that the you know, Zelensky and, and his entourage have been skimming untold millions from the American dollars that are earmarked for diesel fuel payments. So I think we all kind of assume this was happening, it was, it was being funneled and laundered to a certain extent. I know that we all kind of assumed it would be a lot more considering that, you know, 127.5 billion has been sent over there, but at least 400 million in funds that we know of were embezzled last year. So, you know, there's, there's a lot here. And we also have to remember that the, the Pandora papers that were released in October, 2021 named 38 Ukrainian politicians, which was the most out of any country and Zelensky as being part of this uh, network of not just offshore accounts, but multiple networks of offshore accounts. And you know, let me remind you guys, Zelensky also ran as this anti-corruption, you know, anti-oligarchy candidate, and he promised to root out the country's corruption issue. So, uh, you know, where do we even start here, guys? I mean, we know that this has been happening over the past year. You know that we've been sending billions and billions of dollars, but uh, what do you guys make of this? Well, even before uh, Cy Hirsch got that intel and and wrote that article last week <clears throat> in January, remember we put out an article showing that uh, the Ukrainian government itself found that these you know that U.S. tax dollars were going towards like elaborate vacations, uh, really nice sports cars, mansions. And multiple high-level officials in the Ukrainian government had to step down. It was it was like a half dozen of them, who were all caught in like in taking pictures, driving their nice new two hundred thousand dollars sports cars, you know, going on these extravagant luxury vacations. And uh, so that was admittedly done. You know, that th this was the Ukraine government admitting that that happened. So it's not it's overt and out there, but we like to ignore all that, you know, and. <laughs> Everybody, if you if you talk about that, you're just repeating um, Russian propaganda or Putin propaganda. Yeah, I actually I saw a report. I just tried to pull it up. I can't find it off the cuff, but uh, there was also a report out of the gray zone sometime last year, basically showing with documented proof how Ukraine is essentially being set up and, and the backdoor deals are already sort of being set up with these American companies, uh, the sort of the same way they did with Iraq, you know, with Halliburton and all those other companies that came in after the U.S. destroyed Iraq. Uh, so it's not a surprise that this is happening at all. I mean, it was essentially set up as as a, a corporatist front from the beginning, in addition to the whole 
expansion of U.S. hegemony through NATO aggression and all of that sort of thing. Um, and of course, to remind people, you know, Ukraine, other than Russia, was the most corrupt country in Europe for a long time. It was, it was pretty much widely acknowledged. Ukraine is like number two to Russia itself as the most corrupt country in Europe. And yet all of a sudden we have all these Western officials for the past year or so uh, just lauding them as all their God's gift to Eastern Europe. When that's, that's not the case at all. That should tell us something like if, about the mainstream media and their control, their narrative control. If we look at pre 2022, pre February, 2022 reporting on Ukraine, it is was night and day shift as to what they started, how they started covering the country after that, right? We saw the, the they were being honest about what was going on in on Ukraine about the Azov Battalion, about how they were bombing the uh, Luhansk and Donetsk regions, and and on the rampant corruption within their country. And like you just said, they were like the number two most corrupt country uh, in the world, and even in the number one most corrupt country in in Europe. And then now it's all it's all like rainbows and unicorns about Ukraine and how they're the last uh, bastion of freedom, you know, in the West to, to to hold off the the mighty Russian bear from invading Europe and and everything like that. So it, and it works, you know, like that. So before before the this reporting shift happened, people didn't give a shit about Ukraine, you know. Right. And then once they started, they, they started this narrative control, people are full-fledged backing ukraine putting their the the flags in their bios you know supporting the billions of dollars flowing to them while this country goes broke it's uh it's absolute insanity man it is and the, the crazy thing is um i i called this i i was trying to tell people about a year in advance because i remember one day I was watching Ron Paul's Liberty Report, and they were talking about something going on in Ukraine with Trump policies. Because, as a, a lot of people don't know this, don't recognize this, because the Ukraine thing or the war has been happening uh, during the Biden administration. They don't remember that Trump was also sending loads and loads of weapon to, weapons to Ukraine even beforehand. So they 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 were setting this up during Trump's administration as well just as they had, you know, with the Obama administration and the overthrow in Kiev in 2014, setting up the, the neo-Nazi proxy groups and whatnot. Um, but I was watching an episode of the Ron Paul Liberty Report, and they were talking about something happening in Ukraine and basically how if this particular deal, whichever one it was, went through, it would really lay the foundations for war because it would start to cross some of Russia's red lines. And I remember I screen capped that episode. I shared it and I said, look, people need to start paying attention to what's happening in Eastern Europe right now because the U.S. is about to do the exact same thing to Ukraine that they are that they have done in Syria. That's almost an exact quote from myself. That was approximately a year before the invasion happened. Yeah, I, I feel like we've we've all been talking about this. In fact, when you mentioned that article that we covered earlier this year, Matt, that reminded me of an article that we covered almost exactly one year ago, which was on April 21st, 2022. And it was entitled Black Hole. White House admits they don't know where billions in U.S. weapons go after entering Ukraine. One defense official admitted bluntly the weapons drop into a big black hole. That's insane to me. We're allocating all this money, but nobody knows where it's going. And I remember when we talked to uh, Daniel McAdams a couple months ago for our podcast, he mentioned that 
some of these javelin missiles were showing up on the dark web. And I remember seeing like <laughs> there was there were there was, you know, posts for selling some of this stuff on the cheap. And it just blows my mind that, you know, somebody like Rand Paul asked to audit all these billions of dollars going to Ukraine. And of course, he was called a, a Putin apologist. This is just it blows my mind how, how far we've strayed away from truth and any type of integrity in this country. But it certainly has been beneficial to the U.S. in, in a few different ways. It's it, the U.S. have achieved several goals. You know, there there's new sanctions against Russia now. Of course, the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, you know, that that's no longer. Uh, they, they block that effectively. They've also turned themselves into an alternate gas supplier for Europe. It's become this this kind of untalked about issue where even the, the Nord Stream pipeline, like that seems to me like it should be something that we're screaming from the rooftops about. And, and it should be getting a lot more attention. I mean, in fact, you know, Earth Day is right around the corner here. And I don't know if people still celebrate Earth Day, but I made a tweet about this. I don't want to hear anything about Earth Day this year from the Biden administration, from the White House, from the media, because there was one of the largest environmental disasters on the books happened with the Nord Stream pipeline. And of course, you know, we have Biden on record saying that if Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, the Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Now, this was the environmental equivalent of, of 9-11, right? Like this bombing of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was the single largest methane emission ever recorded. So where's Greta? You know, where's Gore? Where's the EPA? Where's the UN? Where are all these people who claim to care about the climate? Yet, uh, th you know, they seem to be silent on this. So uh, this is still just mind blowing to me. And I, I continue to make memes about it and talk about it. And it doesn't seem like they're really uh, doing as well or going viral just because like people don't really seem to be aware of what's going on. Now, speaking of people not really being uh, aware of what's going on, we did recently also cover an, another bombshell, like absolutely huge article uh, recently on the 13th last week about declassified Guantanamo court filings that suggest that some of the 9-11 hijackers were actually CIA agents. Um, now, I know this is something that you've kind of kept a close eye on, Don. Is there maybe something you want to share about this that you find particularly alarming? Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, first of all, the, the one thing about the report that I, I uh, out of RT, who, who mainly covered it, but that's, they were sort of covering a, the initial report out of the Florida Bulldogs, sort of just aggregating them. The one thing that I would disagree with is using the term agents over the term assets, just because like a lot of Americans don't understand the difference. So like agents sure. implies like they went through Langley and they're actually like official members of the CIA, whereas assets is they, they were recruited by the agency to be used as like a, a basically a goon in the field, essentially. Um, so that's the one thing that I would differentiate is that they weren't necessarily agents, but rather assets that were recruited to be used by the agency. Um, but it is absolutely bombshell because, I mean, I, I reported on this. On, on my own pages, and I had some people come back and say, oh, well, we already knew the CIA was involved. And it's like, yeah, sure, like, our gut feelings told us that. Right. But this is the first time we're actually getting some tangible evidence through the statements of not just one, not just two, not just three, 
but multiple FBI agents who investigated 9-11, who investigated these two individuals, who all said, we are certain that the CIA was tied to this. Not only was the CIA tied to them, but because the CIA did not want the FBI uncovering their connections to these individuals, uh, because the the CIA's cover story is uh, that they were recruiting these two guys to penetrate Al-Qaeda. But of course, as, as fans, if you remember our episode with James Corbett and we talked about the secret history of Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda is a product of the CIA. Bin Laden was an asset of the CIA during Operation Cyclone in the 70s with the Mujahideen and the Afghani-Russian war and or Afghani-Soviet war and all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's just a cover story. But... Um, but that is their cover story that these guys were being recruited to for the CIA to penetrate uh, Al Qaeda. But it, it is the report of these FBI agents who were all interviewed and compiled uh, by the lead investigator in his report, which was then published in the Guantanamo court filings, that it's because the CIA did not want the FBI to uncover that these guys were assets of the CIA, that they obstructed to multiple degrees, the FBI's investigation, and that obstruction was directly correspondent to 9-11 happening. Had the CIA not obstructed the FBI's investigation into these guys and probably others and, and terror groups, it could have prevented 9-11, assuming that the FBI wasn't in on it, which, you know, we, we rag on the FBI a lot here, as, as everyone knows, but in my years of research, it actually seems as though, at least for the most part, the FBI was quite unaware that this monumental thing was going to happen. Perhaps on the higher levels, somebody knew. Um, but for the most part, it seems most FBI investigators were actually unaware that this massive false flag attack was going to be underway. Um, and, and I remember I was talking to you guys in, in our group chat, and it sort of backs up reporting that we had already done back in uh, August of 2018, we published a report that FBI agents had come out in a, a book recently, recently as in recently in 2018 when we published the report, that they had also said that the CIA had deliberately obstructed investigations into the terrorists and into the, the Al-Qaeda cells in the United States and this was contributory to 9-11 happening. I also happened to mention when I covered this, because I recently did a show with Richard Gage uh, on the Rundown Live, where we had mentioned that not only that, but even long before that, the accounts of uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, who headed Operation Able Danger, which was sort of a late 90s, early 2000s probe to... In, uh, investigate al-Qaeda activities in the United States, and Tony Schaefer has gone on record multiple times saying that they had actionable intelligence that could have prevented 9-11, and yet someone from somewhere, he declined to mention where, but you know, up to your imagination, someone from somewhere obstructed that information being utilized properly, and it sort of fell on deaf ears, and nothing happened. And then, of course, we have the accounts of uh, J. Michael Springman, and if people don't know this, go to the CorbettReport.com because James actually uh, did an interview with Mr. Springman. J. Michael Springman worked at the U.S. consulate in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and has personally attested to being the guy to have signed and, and approved the visas for 14 of the 19 hijackers under direct supervision 
of the CIA. So we have J. Michael Springman, this, this uh, employee, former employee of the U.S. consulate in Saudi Arabia, specifically saying he was ordered by the CIA to authorize the visas for known terrorists, 14 of whom ended up being 9-11 hijackers. It's, it's insane. It really is, man. And if you go back to uh, the former White House counterterrorism advisor, Richard Clark, and look at what he was saying during the time, it wasn't just a couple of CIA agents who were blocking the FBI's investigation into these terrorists. It was lots of them, you know, like, let me I, in that article that, that, that you just mentioned, I actually wrote that in 2018. And um, I, I included a quote from uh, from Richard Clark in it. And he said, I believe for the longest time that this was one or two low level desk officers who got this information about the hijackers and somehow didn't realize the significance. But it was 50, five, zero CIA officers knew this. And they included Tenet, who was the director of the FBI at the time, and all kinds of people who were regularly talking to him. So, yeah, that, that, that was I mean, that's a massive conspiracy, you know, like that's we're talking 50 people that this is confirmed that government insiders are talking about, you know, ha having knowledge of a planned attack on the United States with the deadliest attack in American history. And then one of the FBI agents that you mentioned um, earlier was his name is Mark Rossini. And, you know, he was on record stating that it's patently evident that the 9-11 attacks did not need to happen. And there's been no justice. And that is true. And it goes back to that media narrative control, right? If you speak out against this and talk about it and try to, you know, bring these facts up that are documented, well-documented facts by government insiders that are government agents themselves saying these things. If you bring that up, you're you're a conspiracy theorist and um you know, you're dangerous to 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 the world and you might be a domestic terrorist. And if you use these Internet devices or some of these platforms to disseminate this information, then that's why we need the Restrict Act. You know, so we could we could suppress this kind of misinformation and disinformation from reaching the airwaves and protect people from this malinformation that, you know, challenges the establishment's narrative. Right. And it's it's certainly scary, too, when you think about the implications of it, because when when I did the show with Richard, the one thing that he really emphasized about this whole thing was that we know for a fact, based on the studies done by all the architects and the engineers and himself and and the years worth of a very careful study done on the ground zero debris, what was left of it, what could be uh, acquired after uh, Giuliani and the. Bush administration sent it off to be destroyed before anyone could actually do a thorough investigation of it. What little bit was left, they conducted the study. We know for a fact that the towers were brought down by controlled demolition because of the residue of explosives and other incendiary materials that were found there. Um, and it's not just a one-off. Like They found the stuff, they checked, double-checked, triple-checked, quadruple-checked just to make sure that what they found is accurate because it's such so bombshell. And yeah, we have 100% proof that explosives were used to bring down not just one, but all three, World Trade Center 1, World Trade Center 2, and World Trade Center 7. Uh, so the, the implication that the CIA was involved not only in getting these terrorists into the country, but in obstructing the FBI's investigation, which could have stopped it, compounded with the knowledge that we know these towers were brought down by controlled demolition is just damning. It's, damning isn't even the word. There isn't a word to describe just how monumentally uh, egregious that is. 
Actually, Don, I think that you're probably just a right-wing extremist conspiracy theorist, and all that is... <laughs> Who probably loves Putin. Yeah, well, of course, naturally. <laughs> but uh, this actually, you know, speaking of the, the CIA cover stories and national security threats, this actually kind of leads me to um, another news topic that kind of came in hot and it just disappeared without... a a word, but it was the discord leaks. I don't know if you guys remember that was like a, a tidal wave, like a, yeah. a, a tsunami of like news for about two or three days there. And all of a sudden just it's gone. But that seemed a bit suspicious to me, you know, all of a sudden there's this huge yeah. leak. I mean, they're saying it's like the, the biggest leak since the wiki leak drops. Um, and apparently it's over a hundred pages, 53 leak documents, of highly classified military documents on Ukraine war plans, um, information relating to the U.S. spying on allies, uh, even plans for future policies on China, and so of course you know the media rolls out their their patsy, and you know I don't ha obviously have any you know legitimate facts or, or truth in front of me that says that these aren't just assertions I'm about to put forward, but doing the work that we do, you know, we kind of have to be in tune with our spidey senses and, and and talk about these things and at least get them on the table. So of course, you know, the media rolls out this, in my opinion, a patsy. And of course they, they label them as this, uh, this racist gun enthusiast, you know, who, who's a right winger. Um, apparently he, uh, was very interested in, in video games. He was a big gamer. He, he was in this video game uh, Discord group. And after some intense debate within a few of the people uh, in the group, he decided to to leak all this information uh, about the Ukraine Ukraine war. And it's like this like fresh faced twenty one year old kid basically from uh, the Massachusetts Air National Guard. And, and to me, it just seems a bit suspicious, right? Like I have a hard time believing, you know, first of all, anything the media or government tells me these days, but we all know that the media is scapegoating right-wing extremists right now, and especially racists, and especially gun-loving right-wing racists. I think the odds that this is some type of cover story or limited hangout or even distraction or possibly even something to usher in the Restrict Act, it, it seems you know, very likely. I mean, the Restrict Act is still waiting on this this final vote. And uh, this this kid, you know, is, it, it seems like there's a lot of issues with him having all this declassified information. In fact, Don, you were just talking about uh, the former CIA Intel uh, colonel, I believe, Tony Schaefer. He did a recently an interview with Judge Napolitano it's just a quick, like I have it brought up here. It's just a quick, like 49 second clip, but he, the way he explains that there's no chance that this kid could have these security clearances just even raises more of a red flag. So I'm going to go ahead and play this really quick. We're not talking about a 21 year old graduate of West Point who's been selected for military intel. We're talking about a kid that didn't go to college, who signed up for the Air National Guard, got assigned to a place in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. He gets the highest security clearance. How does that happen? It doesn't. Uh, a top secret SCI clearance takes years to complete. This kid hasn't been alive long enough to get a TSSCI clearance. Look, I was a lieutenant at 20 and I had to go through special vetting and I only got a secret clearance and I was an intelligence officer. I'm an actual operative chasing terrorists back then. 
So I know for a fact there's something really wrong with this kid having top secret. According to the sources I've seen, he had gamma. He had like the full range of tickets that you don't get until you're at least somewhere in the system beyond the private. So according to an anti-war article written by Dave DeCamp, now the Biden administration is seeking to expand internet, uh, chat, and social media surveillance. So this is all kind of adding up to what we're saying. Like this is probably going to be a push to sign something like the Restrict Act. Now, somebody who has former military experience and worked within the NSA, do you, is that all accurate, Matt? Um, not necessarily. So what what Anthony Schaefer said there, it might take years, but I had a, a top secret SCI clearance. And um, granted, this was pre 9-11 but I, it, I had it well before i was 21 and i didn't work with but what's 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 important to point out is that i didn't work with anybody in national guard the like the the national guard like the air national guard these aren't um you know active duty units these are activated during you know whenever they're called upon by their states and so the idea of this guy having a top secret SCI clearance, uh, I'm not sure what his MOS was, so um, it, I could totally be wrong on that. But the idea of having a top secret SCI clearance is not that far-fetched. What is far-fetched is him having access to documents that detail the the internal workings of uh, America's, you know, military intervention in the Ukraine. Like that, my top secret, it's so compartmentalized right that's how this works it's called it's the sci stands for sensitive compartmented information this is how they keep people from leaking so many secrets because most people just have their little bit of the they can only see one little portion of the pie no one has access to the entire pie because then you know they would see the whole system for what it is and like they would all be blowing the whistle but um so everybody has their little portion of the pie that they can view and the idea of this really low-ranking air national guard guy getting these highly top secret documents that show the extent of military casualties in Ukraine and the presence of U.S. troops on the ground there. Like this is that is some like highly, highly classified shit. I, I just don't see a young kid like that getting access to this. But him having a top secret clearance is not that far fetched. Interesting. Right. One of the, the main things that I sort of pointed out when this whole story dropped, um, in addition to that, was just the fact that it dropped at the same time that the information about the those Guantanamo documents began to come out. But the whole thing to me immediately seems suspicious. And, and I've sort of been telling people um, when I was on with Clyde Lewis the other night, when we've been doing episodes of the rundown live, um, the, one of the main things that, I, that I've been telling people is that to me, this whole discord leaks stinks of limited hangout because mainly when you have a limited hangout, which is something for those that don't know, for the, the people out there who've never studied that sort of thing, it's a tactic used by clandestine services, by intelligence agents, where they basically deliberately leak some of their own information, true information, but not enough of it to where it's actually damaging. And then they use that leak of true information. Sometimes it's compounded with legitimate disinformation as a means of completely misdirecting people away from something really important. So sort of like a distraction, but with more meat on its bones. So to like really draw people in. And one of the big ways you can tell when a limited hangout has been employed is if 
the information that has supposedly been leaked, first of all, if the mainstream media is shining a massive spotlight on it, huge red flag. Because usually they don't want anybody to know this sort of thing. They want to try to maintain as much control over it as possible. But if they're shining a huge light on it and saying, look at these massive leaks, this is so embarrassing to the U.S. government, they would never, if it were actually embarrassing to the U.S. government, would never highlight it in such a way. And then secondly, if you actually look at the information, another way you can tell is if it's generally benign stuff that is already sort of public knowledge, but not really public knowledge, if you know what I mean. So like a lot, like three of the biggest factors one, U.S. troops on the ground, specifically special forces on the ground inside Ukraine. Secondly, the fact that Ukraine is getting its ass kicked. And thirdly, uh, the fact that the U.S. was spying on its allies. These are all facts that we've already known, and particularly with the regard to Ukraine, with special forces on the ground and the fact that Ukraine is losing. The independent media, even us at the Free Thought Project and, and across the scope of independent media, has been reporting that for a year. It's not a secret. It's public knowledge. It's just wasn't widely known to the general public, to the normies. And then, of course, we've known even well before the Snowden leaks that the U.S. has been spying on its allies profusely just as much as it, as it does its enemies. So most of the quote-unquote meat on this leak isn't. It's It's literally stuff that we already knew and... So to me, it just stinks of, of limited hangout. It just doesn't make any sense. And the fact that this just so happened to come out at the same time of the really damning information about the CIA ties to the 9-11 hijackers, which, by the way, hasn't been covered by any American media. At least I, the last I checked was a couple days ago. I don't know if another outlet has picked it up since then. But a couple days ago um, when I checked it out, the only American mainstream media outlet I could find that covered it was the first one that broke it. That was the Florida Bulldog. And how many people have heard of the Florida Bulldog? So that's getting no attention because it's all been overshadowed by these Discord leaks. Well, yeah, and there is some overlap here, too, with the Restrict Act, right? And I haven't seen a lot of people put forth this theory, but like it, it seems like the whole Discord leak would be setting the table for the Restrict Act. And Absolutely. yeah, it feels strange that nobody else is really, you know, mentioning this, but sometimes we're a little ahead of the curve here at the Free Thought Project. But I know we've mentioned the Restrict Act a few times now, so it's probably not a bad idea to get into that a little bit just so our audience is familiar. And I know this is probably a couple of weeks in the making now that there has been a bit of a wave of resistance and, and people talking about it. But Everybody's heard about TikTok, right? Everybody's heard, of course, about the national security threats that TikTok is uh, engaging in. Their um, parent company, ByteCrunch, this is something that even before the Restrict Act uh, came around has been kind of, I don't know, been talked about, I guess, within uh, politics. But the ironic thing about this is TikTok and ByteCrunch aren't even named in this bill, the Restrict Act bill, which is SB 686. And it's open-ended. It's intentionally vague. It does a few things. Um, it gives basically the government more control 
in the global digital economy. And that's important, right? Because if they could indiscriminately and arbitrarily allow certain countries or certain businesses and products into the U.S. economy, then that's a very powerful tool. And of course, the, the U.S. economy is, is a powerhouse, right? So this gives government just a little bit more control to be able to manipulate that, to push out certain countries, certain actors, and arbitrarily, however they want to. And also, I've read some warnings that it could also have an effect on cryptocurrencies and throw some wrenches into cryptocurrency exchanges. Um, of course, as I just mentioned, it's going to restrict global competition. Uh, this is also going to expand the surveillance state. And I know we have a lot to say about this, but it's going to give government control over your tech too, which seems very ominous. And of course, it, it basically sets the table, sets up uh, the Biden administration, POTUS, and the Secretary of Commerce to have this new authority to expand their powers, but not only just to expand their powers, but to actually write the definitions and, and the boundaries of their own new powers. And of course, you know, I think one of the scariest parts about all this, and I'm sure we're going to get into it here, is that if you try to circumvent any of this, let's say use a, a VPN or something, they're they're going to impose a really stiff pen penalty, which is either a 20-year prison sentence and or a $250,000 fine. So I, I know, Matt, you've had some time this morning to like really sink your teeth into this. What am I missing here and what else should our audience know about? No, that's that's it, man. I mean, there's the the that's one of the main concerns is uh, people being able to use a VPN to bypass some of these restrictions like what happens in China right now, you know, if you want a, a freer version of the internet in China, you have to use a VPN because it's heavily restricted over there. But if you Google it and go look at the, uh, you know, the, the, like the mainstream fact checking sources like PolitiFact, that's actually not true. You know, it's, uh, they spoke to the co-sponsors of the bill who said that this isn't supposed to go after individuals using VPNs. <laughs> right. But apparently like they didn't, they didn't quote the actual text in the, in the bill itself but if you go and look at it, it 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 doesn't mention corporations or foreign actors it actually mentions individual persons <laughs> and it 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 explicitly says that anybody who tries to to uh indirectly or make or to go around this law by using it doesn't specifically state vpn but it just vaguely like you said it's it's intentionally vague and <clears throat> it it's basically states that anybody who tries to to circumvent this law using any means necessary is is in violation of it and that that could be up to 20 years in prison and it's insanity it's insanity it's not just because of the 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 penalties here but it's going to grant the the government like these broad powers with no transparency like you're not going to be able to do a FOIA request right like that's one of the main concerns that a lot of the people, a lot of people who are covering the Restrict Act are saying, is that like lawsuits challenging any type of these bans, like on a social media network or a specific device, um, the written into the Strict Act, uh, the Restrict Act, or is legislation that's going to like constrain the scope and discovery. So people aren't going to be able to implement FOIA requests, and so it's it's because. Uh, it's not practicable and consistent with national security and law enforcement interests. That's what it says in the bill, which wow. is that right there alone. You know, that just tells you like how 
opaque as the government already. And then now they're passing one of these most worrisome bills or pushing one of these most the most worrisome bills in history. And they're specifically trying to block transparency with it. It's it's crazy. Right. This, this basically is because I've seen a lot of people making this comparison and it's such a an astute comparison that this is basically this generation's Patriot Act or Patriot Act to live during 9-11. And like I was still particularly young when the Patriot Act really came, uh, you know, first came into to being passed. But, you know, having studied what I have about that time. Uh, and of course, you gentlemen being slightly older than me, you certainly remember when the Patriot Act came in and and all the new restrictions and, and basically the way it flipped uh, America o around overnight, just like on its head with all of these new government powers and expansions and just new t tyrannies that they enacted. This is this version's or this generation's version of the Patriot Act. That's what I think a lot of young people need to understand is that if you've done any studying about what the Patriot Act did post 9-11, which, by the, by the way, was drawn up before 9-11, mind you. People need to remember that. The whole Patriot Act, it was, this is the response to 9-11. We have to pass this because of 9-11. The whole thing was drawn up before 9-11, and they don't tell you that, but it was if you go back and look through through the history of it. Uh, and Joe Biden was actually one of the biggest uh, authors, co-sponsors of the Patriot Act. So it's not surprising that this is happening during his administration at all. Um, but that's what young people in particular need to understand is that what the Patriot Act did to American society post 9-11 is what this bill is going to do and more to your privacy, to your online ability to look for information, to the flow of information, just to you as a person. Because, I mean, we're moving into this digital world where your online capability is now, it's, it's sort of not even become a luxury anymore. It has become a necessary part for many people to live their lives because of how digitized everything has become. You do not want the government to expand their control this far or really any, but especially not this far into this sector of online life. This thing needs to be stopped. It is that is so important, and more people need to understand that. Yeah, and if we see what they're doing already without the Restrict Act, right? Like last month, yeah. we had that uh, the that Trump troll guy uh, Douglas Mackey, who made a meme on Twitter and just said that you should vote by text. You know, it's like it was it was a clearly a joke or satire you know but they they used some kind of election interference laws and this dude's going to jail for a fucking yeah. meme because he said that you know just to vote by text and there i pulled this up i i, I mean not right now it's gonna take me too long to do that but i went through uh the left doing the very same thing that this guy did uh where they encourage republicans to go the day before and like they're, they're these tweets are still yeah. on twitter where like prominent uh, left-wing politicians and media pundits tweeted out c clear disinformation. I mean, jokingly, right? To, to tell Republicans and MAGAs to go vote the day after at the wrong places. There was a lot of these examples of that that are all still live on Twitter. Yet this guy, Douglas Mackey, is going to jail for a meme that did the exact same thing. And it just shows how these, how the government can use these laws like that to target their political opponents and persecute them and not just into silence, but like 
fucking into a cage. That's some scary right. shit. And one of the, <laughs> it is. And and the way this thing sort of it in and of itself doesn't, but certainly as any of us can see the writing on the wall, the way it establishes this pretext where it can expand to take down so many other things. I mean, we were talking about how this folds into Discord and internet surveillance. Well, you know, Telegram is a Russian app. It's not owned by an American company. They could easily use the Restrict Act to shut down Telegram, which, as all of us know, and in many of our listeners, hopefully, is one of the only places you can get uncensored real information in nowadays because of the way social media has been captured and used as a, uh, to censor by proxy by the intelligence communities the same way that the mainstream media was captured and used as disinformation by proxy by the intelligence communities after um, after Operation Mockingbird in the 1950s. So the way this thing expands, and we can easily see this going into earlier, Jason, I believe you mentioned how it can go after crypto. With the way CBDCs are being rolled out, so that's what people also need to understand, is this is not the way that these bills are implemented, they're not just implemented to be standalone pieces. They're all pieces of a much broader puzzle, yes. much like the Patriot Act was just used to ignite multiple different fires. This is also going to be used to ignite multiple different fires. So with the way that the CBDC agenda is being rolled in, which of course is going to then roll into the social credit score agenda, if we just look at what happened in Canada with the Freedom Convoy and the way that the Trudeau regime was shutting down people's bank accounts simply for standing in favor of freedom, this Restrict Act will definitely establish the foreground for them to do the exact same thing here once CBDCs and, and all that sort of stuff really begin to roll out and become mainstream. Yes, great points, Don. And that was actually one thing that I kind of wanted to touch on as well, because, you know, if, if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile, right? And this yeah. bill is so open-ended that they will. And I honestly think that it's not only that, but there is some pretext here. There's some premeditated thought going into this bill. But we got into this with Dr. Ron Paul as well in our last podcast. Definitely check that out, guys. It's an amazing podcast that we did. But the de-dollarization is kind of slowly but surely happening right now, right? And it feels like... Um, if the, the U.S. dollar continues to lose demand in the global economy as the reserve currency, it's going to change things. And as of right now, the, the, the U.S. regime doesn't really seem to either be waking up to this reality or it's just not admitting that it's happening. And it's certainly not going to go away. So maybe this is some of the pretext to set up a, a power play because, you know, if the dollar... Let's say it, it does crash. I mean, I don't believe it's going to be like this apocalyptic scenario where we're all living in huts, but our standard of living is certainly going to go down. We're, we're going to be a, a world power, but we're not going to be like the same status that we, we once were, you know? So the cost of living is going to go up. Uh, the inflation is going to go through the roof. And of course, that's going to affect the, the standard of living. And it's, you know, it's, it's happening right now. I mean, even if you look at the global economy, like France is, is now buying natural liquefied gas in the, the yuan. Um, China just last month, they brokered the peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, that's unheard of. China, you know, China being the one who's implementing this, whereas, you know, the U.S. is still over here, you know, funding a proxy war with Russia. 
Japan just broke with the G7 nations to buy Russian oil at prices above cap, which is you know a slap in the face to Washington. And again, like the U.S. used to have this diplomacy, it used to have more of a, a an edge in the the global hierarchy, I guess you could say. But now this is all kind of starting to shift. Like the global economic order is changing, and this is a reality that we need to be aware of. But the problem with that that seems to be the the most concerning is that if that is the case, if the dollar does crash, our alternative, one of our our, our biggest alternative is going to be cryptocurrency, of course, precious metals as well. But cryptocurrency is going to be one of the shining lights to help us get through any type of dollar crash. But if they're already setting the table, if the US federal government is already setting the table, to be able to clamp down on that, to have control over that with this restrict act and the open-ended language in the bill, this is going to set up a lot of problems. And you know, this is supposed to be our, our savior. And, and to this day, crypto really hasn't been able to be utilized in, I think, its fullest extent. And unfortunately, it kind of got sidetracked as a commodity in the stock market, you know. So like now people are you know, paying money just to, to own these, you know, units of, of digital currency. But I think ultimately what they were originally intended for was to be used as currency. And if the dollar was to crash, that would be a perfect alternative for us. But so, to, you know, I'm, I'm certainly concerned. Another part of the Restrict Act, too, I don't think we even touched on was that if you, I believe if you have like an internet, if you have a company that's uh, attached, uses the internet or associated to the internet of over a million users, I believe it was, then the US government basically claims total control over every all those devices. So I know in our article that we covered, it was that includes like ring cameras, uh, smart refrigerators, Alexa devices, and even your phone. Um, so yeah, this is something that we really need to be speaking about guys and really, you know, waving the red flag and, and screaming from the rooftops. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is I remember, um, as we were getting this set up, I was talking to, uh, to Matt about this and it's really being utilized, uh, sort of as a double-edged sword. So like on the one hand, they're using the restrict act and the whole, Oh, we got to go after TikTok and Chinese surveillance as, as their means to establish this, massive insane draconian power grab of, of, of internet surveillance and and authoritarianism on the one hand on the other hand it's also sort of in a sly way being used to benefit the military industrial complex because it's it's also being used to push the whole the anti-china narrative the whole we got to go after china we got to go after china all oh, this illegal surveillance when you know one of the main things i've pointed out from the very beginning these people don't give a shit about protecting the privacy and the data of American citizens, because if they did, the NSA would have been abolished after the Snowden leaks. People would have gone to jail. Companies like Facebook and Twitter, Google and Amazon, they would all be subject to these massive congressional hearings to stop them from illegally spying on and stealing Americans' data. That's not happening. They're all protected. These people don't care about protecting Americans' data. They just care. It's sort of like the reason why the government is against the mafia. It's not because the government doesn't like organized crime. It's because the government doesn't like competition because they are organized crime. And so in this case, um, using it to, pro you know, that excuse, or the China spying, they're using it to proliferate this sort of, 
military industrial complex narrative, the, the, the pivot to Asia, as the Obama administration put it uh, many years ago, um, that we saw Trump take up the mantle for with the China sort of narrative. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, constantly pushing this, this war that they've openly talked about. I, you know, it, it's still baffling to me that we have top military officials, two of that I know of now, probably more, but one uh, general in the Air Force and one, I can't remember his rank, I think he was also a general in the United States Army, both openly saying that they're preparing for war with China by 2025. And so it sort of folds into this whole, you know, anti-Chinese narrative. And the whole reason I was explaining this before the show, um, the whole reason this is happening is because the U.S. empire is falling, because not only because the dollar, the petrodollar is falling out of favor, but the U.S. empire in and of itself is beginning to wane because during the Industrial Revolution, they were able to establish the U.S. empire on a means of, of an economic basis. And then that sort of fell out of favor because other countries began to grow their GDPs and their economic prowess. And so then the U.S. empire was held together through military force. That's why we've had our constant endless wars, especially in the Middle East, even you know before the Gulf War. You know, we were setting up things. Earlier, I mentioned Operation Cyclone and all of that business that happened in uh, Afghanistan in, in throughout the 80s in the, the late 70s, uh, all of that being pertinent to what's happening right now. And so the, the U.S. empire was held together through a military force. And now we have these countries, these superpowers in a way that have built up their military prowess. Uh, Russia is a prime example, showing that there are countries that can challenge the U.S. global hegemony. And so now... The U.S. empire is now sort of falling out of favor with its military dominance because it's particularly in the Middle East and in, in the East in, itself in Asia, just looking at what has happened in the Middle East over the past 20 years. And they're starting to realize they did so much more damage than than any sort of good. They proclaimed that they were accomplishing with these wars of aggression that they uh, had in the Middle East. And so now you have China coming through and diplomatically propping up all of these economic deals, helping people prosper, which I was also talking about as sort of setting up the, you know, the road to hell paved with good intentions. Because as we know, you know hearkening back to our conversation with James Corbett a few months ago, um, this false dichotomy between the U.S.-led New World Order and the Chinese-led New World Order, like neither one is a good thing. So even though like China's uh, helping broker deals, these uh, normalizations of relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran, normalizations between relations between Saudi Arabia and Syria, bringing Syria back into the Arab League, um, helping negotiate an end to Saudi Arabia's uh, and the U.S.'s genocide in Yemen, um, beginning to broker peace deals and, and sort of negotiations for peace between Israel and Palestine. On the surface, all fantastic things, and I do hope they happen because peace in the Middle East and peace everywhere is a good thing. But the sort of road to hell paved with good intentions is that this Chinese-led New World Order, just like the U.S.-led New World Order, might not be soaked in the, the bloodshed of the U.S. New World Order, but it will still be abused to become this dystopian nightmare because if, as people remember, or if they might remember, the, the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government that the U.S. government is so supposedly against wouldn't be what it is now if Wall Street 
and the intelligence community hadn't propped up the, the communists in China in the first place. So this, this whole thing is all by design. I agree, man. And we were talking about that earlier before we, uh, before we started the show. And, and it's the approach that China has shown over the last 30 years in regards to global spreading their global hegemony has is, is been proving far more effective um, than the U.S. militarism might. You know, we're, we're, we play the world's policeman. Well, we claim to be the world's policeman when we're, we're just actually upholding the special the interests of special interest corporations who need these who need the U.S. military to maintain their, you know, their profit margins. But China has been doing it diplomatically and they've been building infrastructure in a lot of these countries and they've been making friends all over the world while the U.S. has been making enemies. And, <clears throat> you know, we have we have Europe, basically, you know, the, <laughs> the rest of the world is is on the fence about us or not our friend. And, you know, if we do keep provoking this Chinese bear, if you will, this Russia Chinese bear, um, I think that it, it could have some very serious implications for like a global world war. And, you know, we think that we have China, you know, beat militarily, but we don't have China, India, Russia, and, you know, everybody else on board with them, uh, you know, d beat militarily. And now, you know, we have this woke agenda over here and it, and it, you know, we have a lot of people getting out of the military. So because of it, and the, the, the military is largely going soft over here. So, which, I mean, you know, obviously being an anarchist, I'm, I like that, but <laughs> you know, that that's not going to give, that's not going to provide the military might that the America's Americans think that we have right now. And it's, uh, the, the frog is in the pot and the water is almost boiling. And, you know, we got Republicans saying China's the enemy. We got the Democrats saying Putin's the enemy. And um, it's brewing for a, a very bad, you know, powder keg mm -hmm. ready to explode. Yeah. Well, my friends and free thought listeners, unfortunately, there's not going to be a white pill at the end of this episode. <laughs> 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 but we did just throw down a bunch of facts and knowledge for you guys. So hopefully that helps empower you and inform you to hopefully get us to a better place in this crazy world. All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing its end. Just a reminder, we've been working extremely hard to bring you some of the most powerful voices in the truth liberty movement. We work tirelessly for you to bring these concepts to the masses and to educate and wake up those who continue to sleep. Please don't forget to consider donating or subscribing if you appreciate the work we do. It's becoming more and more difficult to do this, and we can no longer depend on social media advertisers of big tech monetization. Our support network is you. So help us rebuild this organization by going to our website, thefreethoughtproject.com, and at the top you'll find tabs for our memberships and donations. Also, please review and rate this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you, Freethinkers. We are about to wrap here. There was one other story that we didn't get to talk about, but it was on our agenda, which was uh, the, the horrific story about cops in New Mexico, Farmington, New Mexico, killing a, a father uh, as he answered the door. The cops were at the wrong home. And uh, 
they, they they knocked several times, but when the father and this was at I think around midnight, and when the father finally mm-hmm. showed up to answer the door within half of a second, several cops shot him. Uh, I think he was only hit by one bullet, but it was enough to kill him. His wife was right behind him. Uh, it's certainly a, a tragic story and one that should be on people's radar. Certainly go to uh, the freethoughtproject.com and check that out, guys. And while we're on that topic, I also announced this a, a couple episodes ago, but we are wrapping up and in the final process and stages of releasing our children's book called Little Free Thinkers Know Your Rights. And it's basically exactly that, guys. We're trying to give kids the target range is eight to 12, uh, some foundation of liberty to know their rights, know how to, to speak to cops, know how to interact some of these potentially dangerous situations. So that should be released within hopefully the next month or two. We should have a copy in our hands within the next couple of weeks. But if you are interested and want to check out more, go to littlefreethinkers.com. And hopefully if this does well, guys, if you like it, we're going to make this into a series and hopefully put out five, six, seven, eight. I mean, however many books that you guys want to buy all about certain uh, different topics that we believe are important for our children to understand and be educated on. And uh, with also that being said, talking about books here, the podcast that we did before the Ron Paul episode. So our podcast for two weeks ago was with uh, Gavin Nasciamento, who is a longtime writer, researcher, truth teller, and a friend of the Free Thought Project. He just released his book in late January uh, called A History of Elitism, World Government and Population Control. And we talked about in our podcast, Gavin and myself, we talked about his book, what inspired him to write it, and everything in, in he talked about inside the book, which there's some really crazy stuff, guys. Like he went through numerous biowarfare experiments that the U.S. government is engaged in. Uh, we went into population control, eugenics, uh, social engineering, the lockdowns, a bunch of different things. And of course, we always ended up, we ended the show as we always try to on a positive note, talking about solutions. But we have the, uh, the shorter version on the Free Thought Project website. So if you go to our website, thefreethoughtproject.com, go up to the search bar and type in either Gavin Nasciamento or A History of Elitism, uh, you can read a good portion of the book. But of course, if you're going to want to you know, read the entire thing, uh, we ask that you actually buy the book, send Gavin some money and compensate him for all that hard work. The book, of course, is on Amazon. But unless I'm forgetting anything here, guys, like I think that pretty much is a wrap. I very much enjoyed this show. And of course, you know, we love having our guests on. Uh, We have some great guests coming up in the future here. So definitely stay tuned, guys. But every once in a while, you know, if a guest cancels or something, this is always a a great alternative as well, just to kind of talk shop. And Lord knows we're always, you know, we're news junkies here. We're always keeping up with the the latest news. So um, yeah, I I think that's it. That's all. And uh, unless there's anything else you guys have to say. Oh, I love it, man. Next time we uh, we'll talk about some more optimistic stuff and tell talk about some solutions and some white pills to end the uh, program on instead of such dark notes. But uh, these <laughs> things are in the cycle right now. These this is what is happening. This is what we have to be paying attention to, so we can't ignore. Absolutely. All right, free thinkers. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening.